Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Millennials Anonymous Podcast. My name is Lee Winnie and I'm a fucking millennial. So we gotta get this party started right in quickly. But before I can do that, I always gotta give a big ass shout out to my peoples. We recorded on uh, Sunday. I'm actually recording or re-recording this on Monday. We had some issues with the audio or whatever. So I had to re-record. Um, but I want to give a big shout out to Guru. I want to give a big shout out to Ashley, the cannabis nurse. I want to give a big shout out to Ediga. We held it down. We talked about the murder of George Floyd. We talked about what we need to do in the African-American community. We talked about who should the leaders be. We talked about everything and including silly stuff too, so that we can try to like lighten the mood since it's a lot going on in the world so sometimes you do need a little bit of a boost so we did talk about all that so i want to give a big shout out to them make sure you tune into brunching so you can hear what we're talking about each and every week again that was a heavy show i mean we talked about some lighter things towards the end to kind of like not end on such a somber note um but it was a heavy show And this is going to continue over into Millennials Anonymous, which is usually, you know, a silly, silly show. And we usually do the top 10 trending topics, which is super silly, but we're not doing that today because in the tone of what's going on in the nation, it would be tone deaf on my behalf as a black person, as a black woman to ignore what actually is going on in our country. So I'm going to also address it on my platform. Um, because it's, it's only right to do so. Um, before I move on, it's a couple things. I want to say happy pride month. It is June 1st. So happy pride month to all of my LBGTQ plus I community out there, uh, to all of you guys. No, I'm not in the community, but I do support the community. I believe you should be able to live, love, and do as you please. So I want to say happy pride month. I also want to, uh, say and give and offer my condolences to the families of all the black people that have been killed recently. We're gonna talk specifically about that just because it was the catalyst, but not necessarily the cause. So we don't wanna lose sight of those Dion Johnsons and those Breonna Taylors that there were other people that actually did die this year by the hands of the police. And I want to specifically you know, send my heart out to his daughter. Cause I read somewhere that he had a six year old daughter. I don't know how true it is because you hear very little about his daughter. I, I you know, they were able to raise, um, it, it, they had a GoFundMe. I think it was set at 1.5 million, which to me is a lot, but they were able to raise $3.4 million for the family. My hopes is that the majority of that will go to that six year old girl who lost her father and will have the biggest impact of his loss. She will no longer have a man in her life to show her what a good man looks like. That daddy figure, that person that can really be there. And that kind of, it, it hurts my heart that a lot of people don't mention her. So that's why I'm like, I don't know if, if that's not true what I read that he had a daughter, but it, if it is true, that hurts my heart. And I hope that there is a trust that's set up so that the money is just not circulating through the family, but it actually gets to her because he would have been directly supporting her. You know, he, he was the person that was her, would have been her support figure. So I hope that it does. And I, and my heart goes out to any young kid that has to lose a parent. And especially in this way, it, it should be, a, it's a very hard thing i think for a kid to grasp that not only did was your father killed your father was killed by the police that you're supposed to be taught is supposed to protect you 
that's a hard conversation to have. So my heart goes out to his his daughter and, and his loved ones, his friends, his, his family, all of those individuals. But I want to say this. We always have a divide when it comes to this conversation. And I want to make it perfectly clear to whomever the leaders are in this this movement what we need to do because usually what happens because you'll never get a movement off the ground with the divide that we have you're gonna have some people disagree but there's such a big divide when you have these types of conversations and we always have these conversations it seems like some things are moving forward but this is usually what happens people are talking about it people are motivated by it something else changes you know it'll get warmer outside people stuff will start to open back up people will be able to go to the beach stores are going to open movie theaters are going to open and people will lose interest in it like they always do want to make sure that there are no more george floyds in the future that's the goal the buck should not stop at convicting the officers in this incident because if that's the case this is we're just going to do this again and here's the conversation. When, when this happens, you always have the people that racism isn't real. Uh, America is amazing. We all love each other. The media is making this up. They, no one ever had hate in their heart. They, they did the right thing, you know, by we love each other and all of that stuff. So we have those individuals over there. Then on the opposing end, we have everybody who is like way far left where it's like burn down the police department burn the city to the ground um we don't need police we need complete anarchy we can police ourselves we don't need any type of establishment all police officers are racist all police officers need to be uh strung up and hurt and all so we have that and so i'm gonna say this to the leaders of the movement i have no idea who those leaders are but if you just so happen to skim past and listen to this podcast i want to speak to you we it needs to be all-encompassing any movement that you do needs to be all-encompassing it means that we need to address police reform but we also need to address the issues the systemic issues that are going on in the african-american community it needs to be all everything because it's it's all connected. It is all connected. And this is one of the reasons why we're still standing in the same spot because there's this silly notion that somehow those two things don't connect. And they do. They do connect. And if we start to address them together, I think we will start to see more change. Also, making sure that we're planning this out. We are strategizing a long-term game because a lot of the stuff that's happening now is short-term. And this is what typically happens. Um, people riot or protest. They pacify you with something small. Like, they'll, they'll arrest the officer. They'll charge the officer with something. And then, typically, nothing happens. Because 99% of officers who are involved in these types of situations walk. So, then what what is left after that you're back at square one and then people forget or they just lose interest and people move on until the next one this is the cycle and if you don't see this cycle i don't know what to tell you this is the same cycle so we need to look at this this these statistics holistically okay so in 2019, because 2020 is not over, and it seems like in 20, 
2020, this these numbers of police killings during this quarantine actually seem higher. It could just be the way the media is is putting it out there, but it just seems higher. But in 2019, the total amount of police killings, and this is according to mappingviolence.org, and I use this website because they use data from many other sources, and I've also looked at other websites as well. So you can you can go and look at other websites. So, so in, in according to mappingviolence.com, 1,099 people in 2019 were killed by the police. Of those 1,099 people, 24% were black. And African-Americans have held steady for the last couple of years. And I don't know if it's because we're not filling out the census. I don't know what. But we've held steady at the population at 13%. And according to mappingviolence.org, that there were only 27 days in 2019 where the police did not kill someone. So there was only a month and it wasn't one collective month. Now... Black people are three times more likely to be killed by the police than white people because of the sheer number of black people. So black people, like my favorite comedian said, we only in like 10 places, you know, I mean, that's it's an over exaggeration because it's a it's a joke, but it's sort of true. Like black people are only in small pockets of the, the United States. So and in 20 from 2013 to 2019, 1.3% of those people black people were unarmed compared to white people that were killed by the police and it's crazy because you would think that more people would think that this is an issue that police reform is something that should be addressed well 1099 people that were killed by the police in 2019 I'm not a math wizard But that's 263, so let's just round it up, 264 black people that were killed by the police in 2019, which is is definitely a problem. You have 264 black people with a sizable percentage of them being unarmed. But that means that you have 835 other people that got killed by the police. If this is not an issue that everybody needs to be taken up, I don't know what is. This is something that shouldn't happen at all. Let alone happening at such a high rate. Now, you would think you might want to take this up. Our police department needs to be able to use other tactics besides the first thing that they want to go to is force. They looked at at the use of forceproject.org that police departments that have adopted these use of force policies kill a significantly fewer people, but few departments actually adopt them. So they're showing that if they require officers to use all other means before shooting, it dropped the percentage of police killings by 25%. It also shows that if they require all use of force be reported just reporting it also dropped the police killings by 25 percent in areas where they ban chokeholds and strangleholds it drops by 22 percent in an area where they has uh, force continuums use force con- use of force continuums 19 percent 
15% drop in police killings when you require de-escalation. 9% drops when you have duty to intervene if another officer uses excessive force. 8% drop when you restrict shootings at moving vehicles. And 5% drops when you require warning before shooting. If each police department took these up, you would have much, that number would be way lower way lower so th these are the conversations that we need to be having but we never have these conversations when these types of things happen the first thing that we kind of go to and we go in our corners and we start talking about is we just need to convict police but if you actually we came together and we said okay i want my police force to do these things because it's proven that police officers that use these things and departments that use these things have much lower instances of killing people. And not only do we want these things, we want you to also add these things. So that now that we have a whole holistic encompassing group that will help protect citizens and the officers and the department. Because ultimately there's a large portion of some of these police, because this is just the murders, this doesn't encompass the people that just were injured in police custody we spend so much money with and these are our tax dollars mostly comes from property taxes that go into this the police department we spend so much of our tax dollars that are going to our citizens that the police has injured imagine what we could do or killed the family or to the estate of the person that was killed. Imagine what we could do with all of that money. Maybe we could reinvest them into PAL centers. So those PAL centers open. So that parents have a safe place for their children to go. That the police are being involved in the community. That the police learn people in the community. And that they're, everybody has different personalities and voices and really get them ingrained rich so that they're not just policing this community but they're a part of this community so maybe we can do stuff like that maybe we can have use that money and those resources to be able to create a pathway or pipeline to police becoming a police officer for some disenfranchised communities starting in middle school and high school almost like the JROTC program so that you have kids because there is a barrier to entry but if you started early and helping these individuals get into that those types of pathways not only will you increase the amount of officers of color you will increase the amount of officers that actually are in and within the community and understand the community and the community understands and they trust them the more officers of color and diversity you get that police the better it will be no just having one or two black officers in a black community is not going to change anything it's not just black police officers, but police officers that are black that are in that and from that community. We need to do stuff like that. That money could go there. So that's why I'm telling people long way to go so that we can make sure that our communities are working and that the police officers fit within those communities and understand that once you police that community, you are now a part of that community. We also need to take a look at how we treat our community. If we don't have value on African-American life, which I said black death has been. No one cares if they don't care and we don't care unless they're 
the only time and this is another issue that we need to fix within this movement if the only time people see the, that we are completely outraged is if a white person or a police is involved, they're not going to take it seriously. We need to show them that black life matters no matter who takes it. This is not going to stand. Black life has matter no matter who takes it. And right now, the narrative is that black life only matters if it's taken by a police officer or a white person. We can't have that narrative. So we need to be able to show people, okay, this is what we are doing on the fronts in places that have high crime areas, that have high rates of killing people. Because if I hear another person say that, and we really don't have a big, to be totally honest with you, we don't really have a big comeback for that. The only thing we really have is we care about that too. But what are we doing about it? We had over 300 murders in Baltimore and we only have like probably less than 650,000 residents last year alone. And if you've ever been to Baltimore, Baltimore, you can go in a circle and you out that bitch. We had over 300 black, mostly black people killed in baltimore last year if you look at that number in the nation of what police officers killed of black people was 268 we we have to do better this this movement needs to be all encompassing we need to handle both the reasons why the neighborhoods got so decrepit and broken down it is it has a lot to do with systematic racism it does but once you acknowledge that systematic racism exists what are we doing in order to better those communities because you cannot expect the person that is oppressing you to be the person that now helps you out of the oppression especially without doing or having any type of action at all you think one day they're just going to wake up and be like oh look we're not going to oppress you anymore it's been benefiting us for god knows how long and now we're just going to say fuck it you know you, you we've done it long enough that where does where does that happen at and we will do better but in order to do that we have to have a movement where we are actually working together and that we, we are on one accord and we're not so nearsighted. I've seen too many people that are just nearsighted. We're just looking at this for the, in the moment. Stop looking to celebrities to be y'all all-encompassing savior. We need to have these conversations in our own communities. Celebrities ain't gonna save us. It would be nice if they came in and put their money in, but... We live in a capitalist society. People are only, I hate to be the one to bear bad news, but if you benefiting or if you're benefiting from capitalism, you are not going to give away your capitalism to help me. You are only going to give me but so much so that you can stay and have your 25 cars, your seven mansions, your vacations, your Louis Vuittons, your Yeezys, all of that. If you're benefiting from it and you're utilizing it, you're not going to give it to me. Stop listening to people and expecting somebody to come in and save us. I've been saying this for a while. Even when I was, you know, doing the Made Series 4, Made It Foundation. Batman ain't coming. Despite the, the image that you saw in, I think it was Philadelphia. You gotta be your own goddamn superhero. Superheroes don't exist. Nobody's coming. 
We've got to be the ones that do it. And you've got to have consistency. The civil rights movement worked because they were consistent. It took Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. years. And I mean years to get the voting right pass. That wasn't something, it didn't happen overnight. He didn't do one protest that, you know what, I'm done. Uh, I've done all I could do. That's not how this worked. He continued to do it tirelessly. He sacrificed being around his family in order to do this. We've got to do more. Before the riots got to certain areas, they were all for it until they realized, oh shit, I got a business. I don't want my business destroyed. Everybody has intent. You've got to sometimes listen to what the person is saying and then go and see their background to understand the intent. Why are you saying this now? And then you also have people that incited the riots. Where are they now? I saw a speech. I ain't seen this person since. What are you doing in order to make sure that stuff is getting done instead of getting a viral video and people giving donating to your cause? If you're going to be out here and you're going to be the person that's saying I'm taking the lead and I'm going to do X, Y, Z, you need to take the lead. What are you doing besides telling people to protest? What are you doing outside of that? Because protesting in and of itself does not change anything. It's a good symbol. It allows people to know that you're upset. It allows people to know your discomfort. It allows people to know that you are frustrated and angry. But what it doesn't do is change policy. What it doesn't do is explicitly tell me what you want me to do. You need to have some other action in place. They were passing out the number so people can call the district attorney. Or the state's district attorney. That is some action. Are you contacting your local congressperson? Are you in contact with your local community members to see what, what's in place? Have you called any of those organizations in your area? Have you reached out to see, okay, they burned down all the supermarkets and all the pharmacies. What do we have in place for those elderly individuals that can't get their prescription? What do we have in place since we already had a food shortage? Now we have a food desert. What are we doing in order to make sure that these people that didn't loot and riot get some food also? What are we doing to make sure that people who are out of work, who black people in that worked in or poor people that worked in those stores because they were essential employees? Target is doing something about it. They're giving those people 14 days plus the surplus of being essential. But that's only for two weeks. What are we doing for the other stores that are not doing that at all? And then after the two weeks, what are we doing for them? What are we doing? What are we doing by the black businesses that have been impacted by this? Because you, sometimes you don't know if the business is black owned. There's no sign that says this is a black owned business. What are we doing? These are This is action. We need to be contacting our local authorities. We need to be contacting our local politicians. Tell them this is what I want. I don't just want to see them convicted. I want the police department to use and require all use of force be reported. I want you to ban the use of chokeholds and strangleholds in my area. I want you to use the a force of continuum. Why are we not doing that? 
or someone that can have a conversation with the FOP. Why, why are we not talking to them? Play for the police officers, um, legal teams when they get in these issues. Why are we not talking to them? These are the conversations that we need to be having across the board. And I'm not just talking about a group of celebrities. No, no, no. We need people that actually are in these communities now to be in these conversations, having these conversations so that we're sitting in policy meetings so that we are having direct conversations. Just like if if your city had a consent decree policy that will come out of them where we can actually hold people accountable that are actually open to the public so the public knows what's going on. Like, they're not just hearing about what's happening after it's done. Like, they're hearing the conversations as it's being done. We need that just across the board. Those are the things that we need to do. And then on top of doing that, we need to have another group of people that are directly in the communities making sure that we are doing something about housing, education, all of these things, crime in our areas. So that we know that black life matters all the time, not just sometimes, all the time. There have some communities where kids can't even really, they can't even go outside. And it, it's, we, we got to do better. Let's make it work this time. Let's make it stick this time. Let's make this the last time that we need to put somebody on a shirt because a police officer used force unnecessarily let's make this the last time no justice no peace that's great but no justice no peace means that as soon as you get a conviction people go right back to living no 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 let's change the hashtag this the last time all right so we have a guest today on millennials anonymous and i'm i'm excited because this individual has such a story i've seen them on vice Dot com. I've seen them on YouTube. So I'm excited to introduce and bring in Big Herc to today's show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to keep with your audience. Not a problem. I'm, I'm, I appreciate having you here. And I really want you to explain it because you probably can explain it better than me because Google says that you're an author, but you're much more than that. Like you've done. Um, well, I, I would say my title is it's an overall um, I, I guess I don't know. I want to use hustler, but just uh, I, I think a, a life motivator. Um, I've done a lot of different things. I mean, as far as growing up as a kid, uh, I was in the skateboarding, BMX. Um, I started my own clothing line when I was 15 at one point. Um, before I got into color drugs, um, I, I, I was involved a little bit in like the music industry when I thought I wanted to be a rapper. And, you know, I tried a lot of different things. I think the biggest thing that, uh, that really led to me doing a lot of the negative stuff was I didn't really have the proper mentorship okay. to do the right thing. Okay. So I made a lot of bad choices. And, you know, among those bad choices, I. You know, went to juvenile hall. I went to California Youth Authority. I went to the federal penitentiary for bank robbery. Um, so I've lived a life that a lot of people rap about. A lot of these guys brag about, and there's nothing to brag about. I don't, I don't think it's glorified to have sold drugs to people. 
Um, I don't think it's glorified to have, you know, committed robberies and just did stuff like, you know, really affecting people in a negative way. And I own up to all my mistakes. And one of the things I always say is that um, in order to move forward, you have to first take responsibility for your actions and not be a victim. Mm -hmm. So I never... You know, look at myself as, you know, making excuses that I'm a black man in America and because I got all these felonies and the system hates me. You know, I own up to what I did. You know? Okay. That's a lot of sense. And I want to ask you, where are you from? Because you sound like a Cali guy. Is that where you're from? I'm from California. Um, I was born in Sacramento and okay. pretty much grew up in California my whole life. Okay. So would you say, because I know you, you kind of started off kind of doing BMX and then you slowly worked your way into it was it the lack of guidance did you not have your parents in the home what happened um, where- well my mom my mom has always you know pretty much been there but she's always worked she worked a lot and then <laughs> i had my stepdad for a certain period of time i mean we lived on a military base for uh quite a few years of my childhood so i okay. was um, a pretty positive influence oh wow yeah that would i would think so did that not I guess change your outlook on life being you know growing well, growing up on a military base and having just a multitude of friends from different cultures that would that's really what created my I guess my platform and what allowed me to kind of be able to see down the road when I went bad how I could reflect back on that time so that was key in my reflection as far as finding self when I did get caught up in a really bad situation and um you know, that's how I got into BMX, you know, BMX and skateboarding. All that was good until there was a, a period where we lived, we moved off the base and I moved to a neighborhood and the street influence was so powerful. And just seeing that environment, I guess I wanted to somehow prove to everybody that I wasn't scared, you know, that I was, I was, um, you know that I was a third of, and I guess maybe that came from having a stepdad that really okay. tried to intimidate me. And so I went through a period where I, I wanted to prove myself, okay. and then in the process of proving myself, I did a lot of things that were contrary to being a positive person that led me down a dark path. So is that where? Would you say so around your teenage years? Is that when you started making a turn for yeah. towards the word? 13, 14 is when I started really, when you become very impacted as a young male. I think the testosterone as far as, you know, transitioning into high school, the, you know, everything is real quickish. You got girls, you know, you're trying to fit in. And, um, you know, I, I just kind of, I got away from really what, what, what was my passion as a, as a kid, you know, skateboard. I wanted to be a professional skater. I looked at the Tony Hawk. I looked up to all these other skateboarders and, and, you know, I was one of the only black skaters in my neighborhood. Me and, oh, wow. guy. and so, you know, I, that was what I wanted to do. But then when I couldn't afford to buy the skateboard stuff anymore and I, I, I you know, I kind of felt like I was torn between hanging out with my skater friends and then kind of kind of fit in with the people in school. It, it, it just, I, I just took a turn and then that turn led me down a, a dark path. So what age were you when you first were kind of introduced to the other side of the law? I was 15. Okay. Um, I was 15 and I remember I was a straight A student. I, I've always gotten good grades. I, my mom really always pushed academics. So I've mm-hmm. always really excelled in school. I was English was one of my best subjects and I, I was pretty good in everything else. But um, at my school in particular, it was almost like if you were a drug dealer, you were a celebrity. 
And so like, okay. guys would come up to our school and these guys that were older, you know, most were drug dealers, gang members. And just seeing this and being like kind of like seeing how people looked up to them, I felt like, man, you know, maybe that's something I want to do because I want to kind of be one of these guys and have a reputation. And so I went from really being an academic type of person as far as, you know, school. And I still got good grades, but I, I gradually got into selling drugs. And, you know, at 15, I was a drug dealer. I was selling drugs with grown men at a park and hustling. And um, eventually it led to me getting caught up and catching a, a case for selling crack. I always wanted to ask someone who got caught up. Because you said you, you were a straight A guy. Your mom was a, a positive influence. It, it always just was curious. I was always curious. Like, how does that influence pull that much when you have your mom? Because I know you were still kind of afraid of your mom, I would assume, finding out that you were selling drugs. I lived a dual life. I mean, I, you know, she, she, this is where, you know, this window where she, when she was single and she was working a lot and I was mm-hmm. sitting, taking care of my little brother and sister and I had free time and, and just like, what I seen, I mean, I lived right down the street from a, a drug park that it was like in and out Burger. There would be people lined up so you could walk out your house and somebody would drive by you. You look at them and they would throw their hands in the air like what you got. And you'd be like, damn, you know, it's like okay. if you have drugs, you could just make money. It was just it was crazy. Walking down the street from my house to the park, you can make, you know, two, three hundred dollars. Just walk in within like an hour, two hour period. So I kind of fell into that. And then once I got the money, I'm like, damn, you know, I had a little pocket money. I can buy stuff for the house and do little stuff. And and it, it was just, it was such a powerful thing, man. You know, people get addicted to that lifestyle and having just that type of, I guess, access. Okay. So would you say that the portrayal, was this around the 90s? Is this the 90s? Yeah, it was uh, 80, let me see, 80, 88. Okay, so this is around the crack epidemic. Yeah, yeah, it was real big back then. There was a lot of guys making a lot of money off the dope. Okay. Have you seen a lot of the stuff like Snowfall where you're like, yeah. is that pretty accurate? Or is you're like, hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was LA, but Sacramento was, was similar. I mean, you had a lot of people who were like street hustlers like that and they were making money. And as young people, you kind of looked up to these guys. I mean, nobody in my family had ever committed any, I mean, they weren't criminals. My grandfather was ex-military. Oh, wow. Uh, rest of my family, you know, they were pretty strict. I mean, I'd go by my grandparents' house, I'd clean up, you know, I didn't have, i try to keep my business separate. I never disrespected my grandparents or tried to bring drugs around until I got to the point where I felt like I was this, this guy, and then it kind of became like, almost like them and me. And um, I just had a lot of, uh, I don't know, I, I think I, once I fell into that mind frame, and I kind of bought into that whole street mentality. It, it would take me years to kind of see that what I did was really hurting my family and how it affected my mom. And uh, you know, you know, that's one of my you know, reasons why I do what I do now because I know what a lot of parents are going through, and I try to think about where did I go bad? You know, if I mean, I, I could, I should have been in a four-year college. I should have. You know, been at a university. I should have done a lot of different things, but what led me down this path? And having the proper male influence makes a big difference. And I never had that. Even when my, you know, I never had 
a male mentor that gave me the tools I, I needed until I got yeah. to the penitentiary. Really? So I was going to ask you, so at 15, you, you first get arrested. Is that the one and only? Is that the time when you went and you went like to juvie and then what happened? Is this a continuous well, thing? No. Well, I got arrested at 15 for, for drugs. Uh, with some friends one time, and then I got a, I got out, and then I was doing all right for a little while, but I was still kind of hooked on that drug game. So I got back in, and you know, through just the, the the bad luck, I got caught up with another friend trying to help them out, caught my second drug case. So therefore, I went to juvenile hall. I did uh, like roughly almost six months between juvenile hall and the boys' ranch. Okay, I got out. My mom got married. To a white guy, okay, and, uh, moved and we moved to like what's considered suburbia, like Orange County, which was totally out of my neighborhood, out of my element. But it that's was actually, a good part of California, right? Yeah, it's, it's like super. I mean, dude, it's like night and day living out there. I thought I was in a foreign country. I mean, there was maybe four black kids in my school, but they weren't really black. I was the only black kid really there from the suburb, you know, from the hood. Okay, and so it was a culture shock, and even though you know my mom. A husband was cool. I didn't have anybody helping me understand who I was as a black man. So I was still confused and I was still kind of frustrated. I still want to go back to the hood. I mean, as soon as I graduated, really? I went right back to Sacramento and got right back into the shit. Gang banging, getting shot at, doing stupid stuff, made another bad choice, you know, helping a friend out. He did a home invasion. I got a set three and I went, I went away for another two years, eight months. Okay. So, Bad choices, man. And, and if, if you don't realize how once you make one choice, it leads to another choice, leads to another choice. It's not like you wake up one morning and you say, you know what, I'm going I'm to I'm go get a, 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 a dope sack or I'm going to go rob a bank. You've already done some other things maybe that have kind of given you a gateway to what you're leading up to. Okay. Yeah, because I always, that was always something, another thing that I couldn't understand. Because a lot of times they say, well, if you take the kid out the hood, they won't revert back to that lifestyle. But clearly, if there's something that's pulling you that way, it's not a whole lot the parents can do if you are kind of with that allure. And I could see you being in like this all white community and not seeing anybody that kind of looked like you, where you would want to go back to people that kind of looked like you, even if it wasn't the best kind of people well i think if my mom see when i graduated my mom moved again because the her her new husband was in the military and i think if i would have moved with them i would have never gotten in trouble because i felt like when i graduated it's almost like nobody really prepared me for the fat i didn't really have any idea what i wanted to do so i thought like junior college was the next thing and and uh, by default, I thought like, man, well, I got to move out the house. Where do I go? I'm 18. I don't really, I'm, I'm basically, I'm still lost. At 18, you don't really know what you're going to do. You're, you're still a kid. And so naturally I say, you know, let me go back to Sacramento. My grandparents live there and it's just a horrible, it's a horrible environment. You know, there was nothing positive going on there. And I, if I would have had a way to stay in Huntington Beach or move somewhere else, I would have been better off. But I didn't. I didn't have the insight and I didn't have anybody giving me any insight. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Now you said that you ended up going into the penitentiary. Yeah. 
when did that take place? Because I would assume I've not been in jail or or prison, but I would assume that was a shift from going from juvie to the penitentiary. Is is that not a big shift? Well, I mean, I, I, I went through the ranks. I went to I went to CYA when I was eighteen to twenty one. Okay. And then after uh, CYA, California Youth Authority, which is like gladiator school in California, um, I stayed out of trouble for a little while, but I was still, I didn't have all of the priests out of me. So I was still kind of back and forth, you know, hustling. I still had a little, you know, that, that street, um, I don't know if it's like an urge in me. So I was still doing um, just things that were of a negative nature. And so when, I was presented with the opportunity to rob a bank rather than having the mindset I have now was that I'd be like, man, get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, you know, what's the plan? And so I entertained it. And by entertaining it, I got involved in that. And it led me getting a, a 10 year prison sentence. Okay. Did you stay for the entire, the entirety of your sentence? Um, well, the feds, you do, what is it like 65 percent of your time? So I did eight years, eight months. Okay. And, um, initially, I was looking at 12 years, but when I got arrested, I almost had an epiphany when I was laying on the ground handcuffed and the cops were kind of laughing. Like, you know, I gave them some entertainment for the day. I thought to myself, like, man, what the hell am I doing, man? It's like the game is over. Okay. And I said, I know I'm not going to be, I'm not going to see the beach or I'm not going to see the streets for a long time. And so when I got to jail, I started researching. I started studying the law. I started like really trying to turn my life around. I, I, I made a commitment to not really entertain anything in prison that was foolish. And I, I started just like really changing my path. So I learned some, I learned, uh, I learned some things about the law. I knocked off two years off of my sentence. So instead of getting 12 years, I got 10 years. And then during my eight years, eight months in a penitentiary, my thing was studying the law, helping other inmates with legal, with legal issues, legal briefs, um, just focusing on making myself a better person and I started I studied spirituality mm-hmm. and um I just I was I became like I found myself in a in a in a really dark place. Oh wow that's so even in a penitentiary it's possible because I think there's a lot of misconceptions. I guess it depends on the guys because I guess there's some people that go in they have this epiphany like I don't want to do this anymore and then you have some people that go in and it makes them harder. You have to really, you have to really, you know, be willing to face ridicule, to be uh, chastised. I mean, <laughs> what do you mean I, by ridicule? By the guards or by other inmates? Oh, I, by other inmates. I mean, okay, because of the way I talk, and I guess because of my voice and, and, and just my demeanor, a lot of guys, you know, initially when they always see me studying. And they, you know, they're like, what are you doing on the law library all the time? And I'm like, man, I'm trying to figure out the way to get out early. And, you know, one of the guys was like, well, didn't you do the bank? Didn't you do your crime? What are you in here for? And I said, bank robbery. And they're like, uh, well, did, you did it, right? I'm like, yeah, I got caught a high speed chase. And he's like, uh, well, why don't you just do your time? And I'm like, why don't you do your time and let me do my time? And me and this guy had a standoff to the point where we, I thought we had to do something to him because... He was actually mad at me because I'm not hanging out like what everybody else is doing. I'm actually doing my own program. And so I faced this a lot among my peers. And I've had, you know, even other guys, I've had another, you know, a couple of other black guys that's like, 
when I would be helping other inmates, they would tell other inmates like, hey man, you know, don't, don't, that guy hurt, man. What is he trying to charge you for, for, for uh, legal work, man? Don't, don't, don't talk to that guy, man. He's a, he's a fraud, blah, 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 blah. Oh, wow. And the same dude, though, later on would go ask my cellmate to help him with a brief that would eventually come back to me because I would, they called me Johnny Cochran in prison. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because I, I basically, I had a team of guys. And we would help people from all, you know, all different units on the yard with legal work. So if there was a legal issue on the yard, guaranteed, I it passed through my hand. Oh wow! You could have been an attorney. I could have. I, I studied case law. I learned how to shepherdize. I learned how to um, file briefs. I learned the structure of putting together motions. How to structure a, uh, an argument. I did all that. I did. I studied the law for eight years. That's all I did every day. Four to six hours a day outside of working out. Oh, wow. Is that where you started the bodybuilding? Like when you started to kind of pick up muscle and... Well, in juvenile hall, I was already in shape. And even like I did my first bodybuilding competition when I was in California Youth Authority. So I had been pretty much in shape since I was probably 14, 15. Like working out has always been like almost like a staple in my life. Okay, so it, it helped you in some ways. Yeah, I would, and, and, you know, people, and I would think they would be intimidated by you, though. Even though you said because of the way you speak, I would think you being such a big guy. They were. That's why I didn't have as many problems because most guys knew that if there was a problem, they would take, it's going to take a bunch of guys to jump. Okay. You're not going to take me one-on-one. I called a couple guys into the cell, and nobody wants to catch a one-on-one. But if they could get you, they want to get you openly, like three or four guys. And that's how penitentiary, most people aren't going to go one-on-one with a guy like me. And so I would assume that it probably wasn't quite as violent where you are because of the types of crimes that took place. And You didn't have, like, there, there were situations where there were a couple, like, of, like, riots on the yard, but it wasn't, like in a state where the politics were heavy because in the state the politics are very serious as far as um black white um you know the gangs and stuff like that hispanics northern and southern and in the feds they still have the politics but you know i had a pretty wide you know array array of friends in there i had white friends i had asian you know i dealt with a lot of different people and because of in the feds, you have guys teaching about real estate, about stock market, about business. You know, oh, you're wow. Like, you, know, you can get, you know, you got guys. I got a friend in there who he's a professional trader. He, he studied the stock market for 12 years. You know, I got another friend who runs his own construction business right now. I mean, you got people in there who come out like really sharp because you get like a master course in just education from guys who are, you know, high powered guys on the street. That I wasn't even thinking about that. That's very true because they say that it's a lot of really intelligent people that end up inside of the criminal justice system. And if they would just use it properly. Well, the thing is, they give these guys so much time. And if you thought, if he's like, man, if this guy was able to get out tomorrow, man, he would be a monster because he's he's so sharp. And you read in prison, you read books that you're not you don't have privy to on the street. You know, you would never get these these particular history books or these books on finance on the street because they're not something that's you know openly promoted in like a college environment but these guys you know you, you're, you're in a due to this information and you start thinking to myself man if i can get out and use this information it can really be a game changer so a lot of guys you know they just have it's beyond 
it's beyond, I guess, um, what do you call it? Rehabilitation, the amount of time okay. they give these people. They should have been out years ago, though. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to ask you that in a little bit about what you think about some of the things that are going on right now, uh, given the fact that you've kind of seen both sides of, of things. Now, I do want to ask you, at some point, you got into the porn industry. How did that come to be? Well, when I was in California Youth Authority from 18 to 21, um, you know, basically, no, you know, you're, you're at a time where you're thinking, oh, man, I could be out there doing this, doing that. And, you know, I missed a, a large part of my, like, early or, you know, late teens, early 20s. So I'm like, and, and, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, oh, man, when I get up, I'm going to be a porn star. You know, it looks like it's a lot, you know, it's fun. I can make money. I can pick <laughs> up on all the women. So um, when I got out of when you story at 21, I said, okay, I'm going to, um, you know, move to Southern California and I'm going to figure out how to get into the industry. And so once I got out, I did exactly that. I always, never put my mind to I always do. And so I did that and I got into the business back in the day before there was internet when I had to, you know, the old school cameras, you had to go audition and, you know, you, you, you had to, you know, before Viagra and Cialis. <laughs> so, uh, it was a totally different, it was back, it was, it was crazy. So I got into the business, but it wasn't like what I thought it was, you know, it wasn't, you weren't making a bunch of money, you know, the women always made more money than the guys. And then it was, it's like, you were always kind of like, almost, uh, trying to sell yourself to, to, to get, to get a, to get a role. And, and so it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't really play out like I thought it was. So that's why I always kept a foot in the street. Okay. That was like my backup. And I didn't really have any, I didn't know how to go about setting like a, back then a five year plan. I didn't have a lot of business savvy, you know, I was, I was still young and I hadn't really, I still had to make that mentor. That's why I said like, if I would have had that at 14 and 15, man, I'd already been a multimillionaire because I always had good ideas, mm-hmm. but I never had the right direction. Now, yeah. And I think that's what a lot of us, we just can't channel it. We have all of these things. We just don't know how to get from point A to point B. I guess at this point, are you done with the, the porn industry? Is that something you're like, you know what? I know. I'm just... <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm, I'm pretty much... I mean, I, I, I was done. When I got out, I actually... Um, had some ideas and the industry it kind of like you know dudes weren't really trying to let me back in so um i seen that i'm like you know what this is like i'm beyond this now so i wrote a couple books i wrote a a, a book about the porn industry how how to get down in the porn industry i also wrote a um, an urban erotic novel called bedroom gangster so i've written a couple books and that would be my my extent of what i do with adult entertainment but as far as the business it's like i'm so far beyond that now i'm working on mainstream stuff so it's just something that i can say that i did and i'm not embarrassed about but um you know, I, I I had that experience, and um, you know, I've, I've lived it. Okay, so let's let's reverse a little bit. So you are in the feds. You've done your time. You get out. Is that the moment when you finally said, you know what, I want to help other people fulfill their dream. I want to do better. Is was that the the moment where you started to turn, or was there another? Like a couple of years, I, I found the moment was in the pen. So when I was in the pen and in the Fed doing my time, um, and I was doing the law, and I was trying to think of things I want to do when I get out. And I used to, whenever I used to come back from the law library, it would almost be like I walk into the unit and I would see everybody sitting around watching TV, and I'm like, damn man, it's like a program. Everybody just sitting here watching, nobody trying to figure out how to get out of here. It's like it, it just blows my mind, like. 
these guys are home court gangsters, but nobody's trying to figure to the law or there's a maybe there's a mistake in their case. And I'm like, man, I got to do a show about people after life, prison afterlife, not like, you know, I've seen lockup, but mm-hmm. I want to afterlife of prison. So I wrote down, I had like multiple journals when I, when I, you know, when I went in, when I was in there, I used to always write down notes, you know, talk to different people, had all these business ideas. And then one of those ideas was a TV television show. Okay. Hey, I'm a producer. And, uh, I met my business partner at the gym. I told him about the idea. We knew nothing about filming or production. And then I said, I got a neighbor. I think he's a, he's a film guy. He has a camera and we actually hired him and we started producing fresh out. And, you know, and my goal was always to get back to the kids. Always felt like my calling was to share my life because I always wondered if I could see what's really going on. Why did God put me in this position? Why would I be this awake in, in, a, in a cage? I wish almost it was like it'd be easier to be asleep and be in a cage than to be conscious mm-hmm. of what's, te- what's, what's really how I got here. So I said, man, if I can help kids and help people through my life experience, I felt like this was not, this was not, um, it, it was not for nothing. You know, there was no reason why I should have, I should even have committed a bank robbery with the type of, you know, with the type of, you know, with my, with my mind state. I just, I didn't understand why I made that choice. I'm like, damn, I could have just said, you know what, I'm not going to go that morning and I would have never went to prison. I don't, I don't understand where that bad break came in. So, you know, I, I just said like, hey, I got to get out and help other people so that when they're on the brink, man, maybe by something they hear in one of my videos, it changes their life. Yeah, and I was I was watching Fresh Out. It's it's I I like what you've done because it doesn't really glorify the lifestyle, but you do learn something from it. So you do explore the different aspects of being, you know, in prison. But I do I love the fact that you show what the opportunities can be. Um, I would say, by the way, Robert Hines and you, I think you should do like a podcast or something because he's that absolutely amazing. By the way. We got something in the works. Okay, okay. I was like, that there was such synergy there. I was like, yeah, I could see it. I could see it. But what would you say? How would you describe it? So if someone was going to watch it and they've never seen it, what is Fresh Out? Uh, Fresh Out is like a it's like a conscious movement where you know we share um, just creative opportunity and and a create awareness and. And, and bring, um, I think, a, a real perspective of what prison life is from somebody who's been there, who's, like you said, not glorifying it. Because, you know, the, it, it's almost like we've actually been kind of like, uh, you know, kind of hoodwinked because of our direction. If we were a lot of the channels that started after us because they pushed the prison rape, they pushed the gang stuff and the tattoos. See, I don't want to, to me, I look at that ignorance, you know, okay. try to, you know, push these type of uh, agendas. I think that's the problem. So we do everything total opposite. And like you said, we don't glorify prison. It's funny you said that because we've had opportunities where we've tried to, you know, pitch a show to be a mainstream show. And one of the guys who was a producer said, you know what, um, Herc, I love your show, but you guys memorize prison. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, everybody you show, they're successful. They got, you know, their own business, their own, you know, their own thing going. And, you know, people at home, 
they feel like the system's not working if you guys are all doing better than them. So you gotta show the people too who are on the brink of going back, the guy who, who's frustrated because he can't get a job. And I'm like, damn, dude, this is crazy. You mean, that's all over. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, so you, you want me to, yeah, you got to throw a couple of guys in there because then it gives the show a little bit more, you know, diversity. And I'm like, this is not going to work. So we, we, our show hasn't been picked up. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, our show doesn't fit with mainstream because the people who have invested in these prisons, they need the, the push for this type of recidivism to justify the the, 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 the long dirt, the jail term, okay. the, the, the prison. It's, it's all part of a bigger plan. And I didn't realize that. I thought I was doing good, but it doesn't fit with what their agenda is. Yeah, but to me, I would think that shows that the system does work because if you can be rehabilitated, it means that it does work. Like well, you've done your time and then you get out and you can still live it's, life. It's very, you know, it's, it's the thing is like what I've done, I mean, I crossed a lot of barriers, but you have to self rehabilitate. The, the system is not geared for this. See, in, in prison, even the way they structure um, the politics, they like to see the the, uh, the, the blacks and whites going at it. They love okay. The northern Hispanics and the southern going at it. They like to see this. They keep it in disarray like that because it allows them to implement control. Because if there was an or, if it was organized in prison, a lot of these guards wouldn't have jobs. Okay. Got you. Got you. So they, they need the, the violence in order to yeah. compensate for the overtime. and the, Okay. Yeah. Got you. That makes a lot of sense. But I, I do want to ask you, since there's a lot going on, I'm sure you've watched the news. You're, you're seeing all of the things that are happening lately, even though it's not new, because these are things that have been happening for years and years and years. As an African-American man, what do you think could be done between law enforcement? Because it sounds like you had a pretty rough experience. Um, you know, with law enforcement. Is there anything that can be done, do you think, that would change the narrative or? You know, it, it's, it's, it's like they say when you have um, good cops in the mix, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, there's good ones out there. Where are the good ones at? Where are they speaking? They can't, where, are they, where, are they, where are they saying that this is not right? I mean, you, you're watching a guy, you know, on his on his on his on his stomach, getting getting the you know the wind basically choked out of him. Now, if somebody would have ran and jumped, kicked that cop, would he have been justified, or would he have been justified getting his, his butt whooped? That's you know what I'm saying? Yeah. At, I mean, where did this stop at? I mean, that's just one instance. People are like, well, you know, it's happening. What about black on black? It's okay, black on black. Those people aren't officers of the, of the law. Mm-hmm. We know that it's not right. We know that there's black on black violence and you people are doing ignorant stuff, but you are supposed to be held in a higher accountability. And it's not just in Minneapolis. I mean, I've seen the guy with his hands up and the cop just come and kick him in the back. The black guy turned around and he beat him down. He's resisting, but he wasn't resisting. You kicked him in the back. So it's just like people are like, oh, this is, man, this is all, it's been going on. We just have cameras now. You know, I, I pray it's like, it's sad, like, when you think about having a kid, mm-hmm. you have to teach them when you see a cop in the car, sit up straight, take your hoodie off, take your hat off, you know, take your hands out your pocket, you know, do this. I mean, dude, we, you can't even be, you're so, nerd, you can't even be you no more. Black kids, they're like, well, he looks, what, why does he look suspicious? Right. What, what, I mean, what, what, because he's black, are you scared? I mean, I, 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 I mean, me personally, I'm a big guy. Okay. Put 250. 
So I know when they see me, I'm like, okay, I, they're sizing me up. Oh, they, I already know. I know mm-hmm. what's going on there. So I got to think three chest moves ahead in case I do have to deep, deep, uh, what do you call it? Uh, 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 break down a situation so I don't get myself caught up. Okay. So I'm always thinking ahead of time when I see him how to talk, hey, you know, smile, to be, uh, you know, take away less aggressive. I mean, it's a cold program, but you, you, if you don't know it, a lot of these guys do. And it's, it's, it's like you got a target on your back. Yeah. And, and it's unfortunate because it doesn't appear that there's a lot that can be done in order to really change police. Police, and, and, and it's not just—it's not just poor people. I mean, I, I talked to a doctor. I did an interview with a, a dentist, a guy who's a doctor, worth fifteen million. He was in a Rolls Royce. He got pulled over and profiled. He said he got harassed. I mean, it's like even even with the money, it doesn't change. <laughs> you know, it doesn't. People think, oh, with that guy, and then they always want to say, well, he had a, he's been arrested before. What did that have to do with the situation? Right? You got to look. Oh man, see, he got choked up because he. He was arrested in, in 2014 for man, come on, man. Right, but you didn't even know that at the no, time. No, man. So you know, you, you go through and the guy's character and you defamate his character, and then people say, Well, see, we took one off the street. And that's not, I mean, if that's how you're looking at us as human beings, man, I mean, until white people feel the same way we feel about what's happening to us, it's not gonna be a change. That's true. Um, I I think that we need to include white people. One of the things I think is a big mistake in some of the movements we try to exclude. I'm like, you you can't exclude. You got to include in order to get this done. That's yeah. something definitely that needs to happen. Now you're also a life coach as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I do, I do life coaching in person and online, and and uh, you know I look at all these people and they talk about their you know their life coaching helping people, but it's, it's not something you can teach. I mean, I've lived a life and okay. I've, I've been through so many different facets of just different environments. I feel like I have so much to give back. So I just feel like, you know, this is my way of sharing. And I've had kids from all over the, you know, all over the country, even parents that call me like, man, my kid told me about your show and they weren't listening to me, but they watch your show. And dude, you know, you're, you're reaching so many people. And it feels good when I hear like a parent that's Asian or a kid in Australia or somebody from like Germany or Russia that says like, hey, I watched your Big Kirk 916 or I watched your Fresh Out and dude, you know, I, I, I went back to college. I went into the military. You know, I got a job. You know, that makes me feel like, you know, my life has a purpose, man, because I feel like I have a calling and um, it's just it's something inside of me. I can't I can't I can't keep my mouth shut. Which is, it's a good thing. We need people out there that are, that have lived this life and you're not just telling kids because that's a lot. Kids get a lot of that. People telling you what not yeah. to do, but they've actually not lived the life. Now, you mentioned Big Hurt 916. 916. You want to explain a little bit about what that is as well? Um, Big Hurt 916 outside of Fresh Out is more about like um, motivating positivity, um, creating conscious, more conscious awareness and just like, you know, the entrepreneur side, you know, being your own boss, you know, taking control of your destiny, um, you know, not letting society dictate to you your life. Because a lot of times people think that, and I've lost a lot of friends over this, they think that because you've been through a situation or you're, you come from a certain place, you shouldn't be able to accomplish certain goals. Okay. And it doesn't matter your background, you know, where you're from. I mean, if you have a vision, 
and you can execute that vision, man. You can become whatever you want to become, you know, and I'm a perfect example. I mean, I've had everything stacked against me. I mean, I've done everything. You know, I remember, you know, I'm thinking, man, I'm going to be a gangster, man. And, you know, I just look at all these gangster stuff and movies and I'm like, once I got there and I seen the gangster gangsters and the UFC, <laughs> guys with 100 years, two life sentences, you know, guys been down like, man, I mean, I, I, I created the wrong program. So, you know, I've lived it. So if I can teach these kids or share with them, you know, and not preach to them, because a lot of them are listening to these rappers and they're talking about Rico and conspiracy. And then, dude, nobody wants any of these charges. You don't okay. want a Rico. You don't want a conspiracy. You don't want to get caught with 50 bricks. You don't want to get caught with 100 bricks. You don't want to, you don't want to have a murder on your conscience. You don't want to have to walk through and think about looking over your back because you did something to somebody. Man, it's, it's like we can get just as far doing good things to people, helping each other. You know, you don't have to rob somebody to beat somebody. You don't have to. It's just like, you know, but that's the program. And we, 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 we've been dumbed down so much. And I, as a young person, I was one of those people. I used, to always, I used to have a gun, you know, run around, do stuff. And I'm thinking like, yeah, man. When I look back, it's like, what could somebody have told me to maybe make me do something different? So mm-hmm. I took that and I try to share it with my with my with my fan base. Yeah, and that's what we need. We definitely need that. And as a person who's a motivator, as a post person who's a, a coach, what would you say to those young black kids right now? Like we're watching this, and it's like you know the anger is coming out. You know they're starting to riot. They're starting to loot. What would you say to them now in a moment like this? Um, I, I would say really think about your actions and think about your choices and options, and then think about where you would like to see yourself at in the next four to five years. And um, you know, I, you know, having I guess having somebody maybe older who can share insight and wisdom because you can't really you can't really buy that you have to live to have wisdom mm-hmm. um I, I think that's one of the you know the greatest assets that's not being utilized and um for you know for myself i think you know we have an exposure to certain elements and seeing that there's so much more opportunity a lot of times when you've never been nowhere you think there's nothing out out there so you 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 kind of limit your ability to um achieve goals and and, and, and go after certain pursuits but if you can kind of get out your surrounding environment and see things it puts things in a perspective better so you make better choices so for the young people out there you know Get outside your, your your comfort zone, you know, open your mind up to different opportunities and, and think about just what's out in the world rather than what's going on in your immediate community. And, um, and, 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 and just don't, don't, don't be so quick to react. Kind of think about your actions before you execute them. That's that's a good point to say, like, you know, this, unfortunately, the way that I think our system is set up, this will pass with all of the, the looting and rioting. And, and then we'll just stuck with like burned down buildings and stuff like that. So just make sure if you're listening out there, I understand your anger. I understand your frustration. I'm from Baltimore. I get it. Yeah. I'll just, yeah. <laughs> so just make sure that you're understanding that everything you do, your actions they do have consequences. So how can people reach you? Like if people want to follow you on social media, if people want to watch your videos, how can people reach out to you? 
Um, well, I, I have a, a, a website, bigcourt916.com. You, know, you can message me there. That's how I, I got your message. And um, you know, people can you know contact me there. All my social media, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, bigcourt916. And then also for Fresh Out, it's uh, freshoutseries.com. And also they can hit us up as far as our, our uh, YouTube or Instagram, which is Fresh Out Series. Awesome. So I appreciate you coming on today. I think we talked about a lot and it's a lot going on. So it's actually ended up being one of the better interviews because it matched exactly with what's going on now in today's time. So I appreciate you coming on. Hey, I thank you for the opportunity. And anytime I can share, man, I, I think if I can reach one person, I've, I've done something positive. Absolutely. All right. So this has been another episode of Millennials Anonymous podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and being a part of Millennials Anonymous today. I know we had a heavy show today, but we will be back in our full swing and our silly mode next week. Peace out.